If you'd open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're starting a new series this week. And as Simon so excellently portrayed uh, in the children's talk, if there's a theme that could really unify the entire book of 2 Corinthians, it's God's strength through our weakness. God's strength through our weakness. Uh, And I think one of the great ways that we see this is actually as we meet here at the Hellenic Club in Hobart each and every week. I joked with uh, Libby one week at our staff meeting. I was like, wow, Libby, we must have the ugliest building in all of Hobart for a church. I don't think there's any building uglier than ours. It's kind of like a run kind of like a run-down wedding reception venue. And Libby's comment to me was, what do you mean, kind (laughs) of? That's exactly what it is. Uh, But as I've been reminded over the last couple of weeks, there's really two essential ingredients to any church. And they are not the building. It is the people of God and the Word of God. The people of God and the Word of God. And those two things are precious, aren't they? So as we come now to look at God's word, uh, let's quieten our hearts as we hear the Holy Spirit speak to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, reading from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened 
that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, as we come and as we sit at your feet now and as we meditate on your word, we pray that you would do that supernatural and miraculous work of your Holy Spirit that you would open our ears, that we might hear your voice speaking to us through your word. Give us discernment. Give us conviction. That we might understand your word and that we might obey it. Father, most of all, we pray that you would open our eyes and that we would see Christ. That we would see how much we are loved in him. Lord, you know where each one of us is at, our hardships, our distresses, our trials, our pain, our suffering. But we pray for each and every person here this morning and listening online that all of these things would be matched even beyond that, superseded by your comfort. May these words that we've read today, may we not only understand them, but may we know them to be true. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been reflecting quite a bit this week on the words of Psalm 88. I've often got it marked out in my Bible as the depression psalm because it's so dark. I'm aware that that kind of painful experience is especially as I get around and visit many people in the congregation, a reality for some of you more than others. But at some point in your life, it's going to be true. Where there seems to be no hope and you cry out to God in psychological and emotional agony asking for relief, asking for comfort, where you want to cry out with He-Man, the Ezraite, your wrath has swept over me, your terrors have destroyed me, all day long they surround me like a flood, they have completely engulfed me, you've taken away my companions, loved ones from me, the darkness is my closest Friend. (laughs) 
Does that sound anything like you might be experiencing at present? The darkness is your closest friend. Trials and suffering are both an inescapable reality of life in a fallen world, aren't they? Whether it be conflict in a marriage, financial problems in a business, health concerns regarding your own body, or some kind of relational tension with someone else. Life is often marked by periods of pain, feelings of frustration, and even days of despair. And the question is, where can you go for help? Psalm 88 is so dark that people think that it contains no hope, but that's not true. If you look at your Bibles again at the start of Psalm 88, you'll see that it starts with this incredible affirmation that he's pouring out his heart to the God who saves. You see, the reason why he can so fully and reverently pour out his heart to God is because he knows that there is one who hears. He can say that the darkness is my closest friend because, paradoxically, he knows that there is a God who is in the light. Where can we go to find and hopefully receive the comfort that we so desperately long for and need? The Bible's unequivocal answer is the Lord. And in the midst of that psalm too, you'll see that Heman actually goes back to the Lord and says, so I will pour out my heart to you in prayer. Because I know, God, that you hear me. See, the God of the Bible never shies away from suffering. He never shies away from pain. Indeed, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but one of the unique things about the God of the Bible and about Christianity is we, out of all of the religions of the world, have a God who is displayed as suffering. What a comfort that is. Every religion, every worldview, whether it be religious or atheistic or hedonistic or something of a mix in between, has to resolve the question of pain. It has to solve what philosophers call the problem of suffering. It's not a particularly Christian problem. It's a human problem. And the Bible unequivocally gives us the answer in a God who suffers for us. As you can see from your sermon outlines, the answer that the Bible gives is really clear. For it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is the ultimate answer. He is the one who, as the Apostle Paul puts it, is the God of all comfort. In fact, this particular theme runs all the way through the book of 2 Corinthians. And it's a spiritual truth that we're going to come back to over and over and over again. Because note this, friends, and this is one of the key insights, I think, for the book of 2 Corinthians and why I think it should be taught um, as a text 
for ministry in every Bible college is because Paul is saying that the message we preach is of a suffering saviour. And because of that message, the shape of Christian ministry should be of a suffering servant. The messenger will start to look like the message. The chapter begins with the Apostle Paul addressing to the church that was at Corinth. Significantly, Corinth, out of all the places in the ancient world, was, humanly speaking, known as the stereotypical place of comfort, at least from a human point of view. It was one of the leading commercial centres of the ancient world. And it was not only one of the major centres for trade and business, but also for pleasure. In fact, there was an ancient expression or term used to, um, if you wanted to live a particularly promiscuous or hedonistic life, then people would say you would Corinthicize. Such was Corinth's reputation for all things pleasurable. Which meant that, just like the city of Hobart, Corinth was a place where people came to for comfort. The comfort that Paul is referring to, though, is not merely material, it's, it's spiritual. Just take another look at verse 2. And notice how Paul talks about how the Corinthians have received grace and peace from God. While this is how a lot of people began their letters in the ancient world, for the Christian, these concepts have taken on a a whole new wonderful reality. For when we put our faith in Jesus, it's grace and it's peace from God which we have wonderfully received. We have the comfort of knowing that our sins are forgiven. The comfort of knowing that the punishment for our sins has been paid for. So our comfort is first and foremostly to be found in the gospel of Christ rather than our circumstances or the place in which we live. You see, we shouldn't look to the place where we live to find comfort. We should look to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where comfort is to be found. All of which brings us to the second thing that the Apostle Paul has to say. And that is he goes on to explain who the person is who brings us this divine comfort. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Isn't that a beautiful description of what our Heavenly Father is like? He is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. In Matthew's Gospel, we read that when Jesus saw the crowds, he specifically had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. At the start of Mark's Gospel, we read that when the leper asked him to be healed, Jesus was filled with compassion. And then probably the most famous of them all in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, when the son returns home after leading a prodigal life, while he was still a long way off, Luke tells us, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. 
My brothers and sisters, that's what the character of the Lord Jesus Christ is like. He is not a God who is aloof or disinterested, but delights in showing mercy and grace. And that means that one of the things that he delights in doing is to show compassion. It's easy to overlook this, but did you notice again what the opening line of Psalm 88 said? It's the only positive thing really in the entire psalm. Everything else is dark and depressing. But the opening line that the Holy Spirit inspires Heman to write is, O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry to you. So the reason he can pour out his heart to God with such reverent honesty is because he knows that the Lord is a God who saves. It's that he believes that there is one who is going to listen to his grief and to his pain. And it's because of that he can have confidence to say everything that he's going to say. Just take a look at verse 4 and the promise of comfort that the Apostle Paul describes. You see, Paul says in the first part of verse 4 that our Heavenly Father comforts us in all our troubles. What this verse is saying is that there is no problem that the Lord cannot handle. There is no problem that the Lord cannot handle. It might be spiritual, financial, relational, or even physical. The Lord is able to give us the grace and strength to endure the most difficult of trials. Now, there's a mistake that we can make when it comes to the concept of God's comfort. And that is we can sort of think that it's like a fabric softener. We can think that it only refers to his kindness and to his mercy. You know, the kind of image uh, that you get with one of those leading brands of detergent. You can think of Labradors, fluffy cardigans and pillows. Comfort in the Bible, though, is much richer than that. It includes everything from an arm around the shoulder to a good kick in the pants. That's God's comfort. One commentator I was reading explains it like this. The comfort that Paul has in mind has nothing to do with langorious feelings of contentment. It's not some tranquilizing dose of grace that dulls pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. You see, comfort is not just getting alongside you with a tissue and wiping away tears. It is that, but comfort is also exhortation. As the guys in my first congregation in Outback, New South Wales used to say, sometimes they would comfort me with this, Mark, build a bridge. In other words, get over it. Or if they were particularly Uh, feeling compassionate to me, they would say, Mark, take a spoonful of concrete and harden up. That's comfort. I didn't need pity 
Like, guys, come and join my pity party and let's all have a violin playing for me. They were saying, Mark, get over yourself. That's God's comfort. And sometimes we need that. As Michael reminded us at the start of the service, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. What comforts us? His rod and his staff. Sometimes God's greatest comfort is his discipline. How good is it to know, though, that the Lord comforts his people when we are in the depths of darkest despair? Charles Haddon Spurgeon used to have such periods of depression that he said he knew of dungeons in the castle of despair. And comforts very much that, isn't it? That when the Lord does hear us, he answers. One of the really important things to realise about how the Lord has chosen to do things, though, is that being comforted is never actually an end in and of itself. Please hear me now. Comfort is never an end in and of itself. What I mean by that is that there is often an even greater purpose that the Lord has in mind in comforting you. And that's the fourth point, which is to be, this is the purpose, please hear me, God comforts us so that we can be a blessing to others. Take a careful look with me at verse 4. See, he says that the Lord comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Comfort is never an end in and of itself. Now, there's a profound spiritual principle being spoken of here. Because often the Lord Jesus will sovereignly orchestrate events in our lives to specifically equip us with being able to better minister to others. Now, I say that this is a profound spiritual principle because I've observed that those in the body of Christ who minister the best have suffered the most. Nothing is wasted in God's hands. Nothing. For he deliberately orchestrates events such that you suffer so that he can comfort you so that you can comfort others when they suffer. That's his plan. Paul says in verse 5, For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our suffering overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Gary Miller, the principal of the Presbyterian Theological College in Queensland, makes this point. Like the Corinthians, many of us feel the allure of success. Paul tells us to aim higher. How about we focus on staying faithful through suffering? Why? 
Because these simple statements make it so clear that no experience is wasted in God's flawless economy. He goes on to write, Your suffering and mine leads to encouragement for us and for other people. And when we live together like that, we discover that there is nothing more precious than fellowship forged in suffering. As God comforts us with all comfort in the midst of it all. What Gary Miller is saying here is absolutely correct. Nothing is wasted in God's flawless economy. As we read elsewhere in Scripture, Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. How many things? All things. Not most things, not some things, all things. You see, sometimes we want to cry out to God, make it stop. Take it away. And we think that because God hasn't, then he's not hearing. But here's the thing to hear, friends, and we'll get to this later in the book of 2 Corinthians. He does hear. It's just that sometimes he says no. Because my strength is made perfect in weakness. And if I took those things away, you'd go back to relying on your own strength. You'd go back to one of those little glow sticks that was all safe and secure, but there'd be no light, there'd be no joy. That means he's using every experience to both conform us more to the image of Christ as well as to better minister to other people. For as the Lord comforts us through our trials, we are also able to comfort others when they go through the same things. The words of Proverbs 17.17 come to mind at this point. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That's one of the ways God often comforts us, isn't it? It's through people. It's through the friendship and even the deeper fellowship of other people. I was talking to an older Christian man during the week about a particular struggle I was having. And he, he said to me as he left, he had his hand on the door, he said, Mark, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, the kite flies the highest in the strongest wind. Use this opportunity to just grow more like Christ. Relationships are forged through the fires of adversity. I've experienced that kind of thing a few different times in my ministry where a brother or sister stands by your side and encourages you when everyone else seems to have gone. That really is a precious blessing. Just before we leave this last point, there's something else that needs to be said. And that is not only does the Lord allow suffering to occur in our lives to better minister to others, but he also allows us to go through really hard times so that we depend upon him rather than ourselves. And you don't know how much you are depending on yourself rather than him until you suffer. 
Take a look with me at verses 8 and 9. Paul says in verse 8, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, uh, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Now, just stop and think about that for a second. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the world. A man who was filled with God's spirit, a man who did signs and wonders and all kinds of miracles, a one who had God's gracious hand of blessing on him from the very beginning. And yet he can say he was under such great pressure, far beyond his ability to endure, that he despaired even of life. And that he could say, I felt in my heart the sentence of death. Darkness was my only friend. You could almost hear Job's wife at this point, can't you? Why still believe in God? Give up and die. It's all over. But what does he say? But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's hope. That's faith, isn't it? That's incredible. You see, you might be thinking right now, oh, it is dark. It is hopeless. It's as if I'm going to die. But let me say this reverently. It's okay because you have a God that has defeated death. You and I have a God who can actually resurrect. You and I have a God that lives forever. You may think you're going to die. That might be true. But you'll live again. Here's the profound spiritual truth. Because here is God's own apostle saying that he, ne he needed to learn the lesson of not relying on his own strength. Paul did. And if it's true for Paul, how much more true is it for you and me? I was going through a really hard time once uh, in my first congregation. And I was so struck by these words here in 2 Corinthians, I literally took off my glasses, put them back on and thought, I've never seen that before. Surely someone's written that in. It was just such a powerful testimony to God's purpose of what he was doing in and through my circumstances at that particular time. You see, sometimes the Lord deliberately... Let me, please hear me now. The Lord deliberately puts us through some hard times. He doesn't just allow it, he orchestrates it. Times where we think are so tough that at least metaphorically we're going to die. In fact, I wish, Lord, I was dead. But the reason why he does that is not to be malicious or spiteful, but it's so that we will actually die to yourself. So that you'll stop relying on yourself and start relying on him. So that we won't trust in our own strength and our own resources. Because just as when we were saved and we relied and trusted in Christ alone, the same principle holds true for serving Jesus in ministry 
for following Jesus in life. We have to come to a complete and utter end in ourselves and call out to the Lord in utter dependence on him to work through us. You have to be broken like a glow stick to glow. But you can't glow unless you're broken. And that hurts. Because it's just so easy to slip into the thinking about ministry in terms of success or giftedness or honour or impressiveness or numbers. But can I tell you, friends, all of those things that I've just mentioned to you, success, giftedness, honour, impressiveness, numbers, this is what, those things are what Paul is going to say, the super apostles, the false teachers that he was up against, they were their things that they boasted in and not Christ. You see, if you preach a message of a crucified saviour, you will look crucified yourself. And so Paul reminds us over and over and over again that real gospel ministry is born of encouragement in suffering. Martin Luther used to say, if our king wore a crown of thorns, we, his followers, should not expect a bed of roses. If our king wore a crown of thorns, we should not expect a bed of roses. But how often do we? An encouragement which ultimately flows from the fact that God will rescue us from this body of death and live with him forever. You know, I find one of the most challenging things in my walk with God is believing in what Paul goes on to talk about next. Uh, It's what I call the perpetuity of comfort or trusting that just as the Lord has been merciful to me in the past, he will continue to be merciful to me now in the present as well as the future. I find that hard. Look at verse 10. Paul says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. Oh, how I need to preach this truth to myself and remind myself of it. I'm just so prone to doubt it. If you're struggling this morning and you want a word of encouragement, then hear these words from Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What's never fails? God's comfort. His compassion. He renews it every morning. Then the prophet Jeremiah goes on to say, I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now we all know as Christians, don't we, that that doesn't mean again that as by people of faith, we're always going to have success. Remember what Daniel and his three friends said to the king of Babylon before they were thrown into the pit of the lions? The God that we worship, oh, sorry, into the fiery furnace, the God that we worship, he can save us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want to tell you, O king, that we will not worship you. 
That's faith. Faith is trusting God for God and his will for us. And that's what God wants us to do, to stop trusting and relying on ourselves and to depend wholly on him. Gary Miller says, there is nothing like panic or helplessness to strengthen our trust in God, our rescuer. There is nothing like suffering and danger to remind us that God alone is our hope. I was so encouraged by these words. I wrote to Gary Miller during the week because the Presbyterian Church of Queensland, if you haven't heard it, is about to go bankrupt. Long story, but the short news is he has to buy back, he and his fundraisers have to buy back the very Bible college where they're at. So I wrote back to Gary and said, look, I just want to encourage you, brother. I'm preaching through 2 Corinthians. This is a great a great encouragement, and he wrote back, he says, it is, isn't it? Smiley face. <laughs> There's nothing like panic or helplessness to strengthen our trust in God, our rescuer. There's nothing like suffering and danger to remind us that God alone is our hope. So regardless of what you're going through right now, don't stop trusting in the God who saves. Because Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever. And because of that, he does not change. Well, the final point that Paul makes draws all of these numerous truths together. And it's what I've termed a participation of comfort. For Paul says that we have a personal responsibility in bringing the comfort of Christ to those around us. And what's more, with God, we actually participate in this wonderful process. Isn't that incredible? How? Well, the answer is through our prayers. Again, God delights in showing his strength through our weakness. Humanly speaking, what is more, if I could put this reverently, humanly speaking, what is more pathetic than prayer? How weak. And yet God delights in pouring out his grace in response to his people praying. How godlike of him. You see, Paul says in the second part of verse 10, on him we have set our hope that, we will con- that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. See, it's not that God just somehow sovereignly beams down grace independently but he attaches himself to our prayers. We can never really underestimate how powerful or influential our prayers really are, especially when it comes to bringing God's comfort to other people. Have you ever been really, really sick in hospital? Have you ever been going through a particularly hard time or you are really stressed about some ministry you've got to perform and people say, I'm praying for you and you you, you go through that trial and you come through and you say with them, I know you were. I felt it. It's almost like prayer can sometimes feel tangible, can't it? 
Like there's this invisible force upholding and sustaining you, giving you this amazing supernatural peace of mind and strength. I had this guy in my previous congregation in Sydney. He used to text me every day with a Bible verse and a message of how he is praying for me. Every single day. It was such a blessing and I could honestly sense how the Lord was working through his faithful intercession. I'd sometimes sit at my desk and I would feel this guy praying for me. Because as every follower of Jesus knows, it's through people's prayers that the Lord chooses to pour out the blessings of his comfort. That's the way he's chosen to work. So let me encourage us to commit ourselves to a ministry of intercession. I had this lecturer at Bible college that used to say very deliberately, you know when we say, oh, let's just pray? He'd say, never say that, gentlemen. What, are you just going to talk to the God of the universe? <laughs> let's, do, let's just do that. He'd say very deliberately, let's, because this is so serious, we must pray. Never say, let's just pray. Let's, we must pray. Things get so bad that we think, oh, all we can do now is pray. <laughs> That's the first thing you can do. And it's the most important and the most powerful thing you can do. Oh, all we can do now is act. <laughs> because we've prayed, the God of the universe will answer. Uphold your brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer. Let me say it again. Uphold your brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer. As you see other people going through a particularly hard time, ask our loving Heavenly Father to give them his comfort. Whether that be a loving shoulder or a kick in the pants. For in so doing, you will be the very means through whom the Lord ministers to others. The Lord will use you. What I wanted to say in conclusion, though, is an illustration I'd heard quite a few years ago. And you'll see it if you turn to the front of your orders of service on the corner post, you'll see Libby has very helpfully put a picture of this. It involves the Japanese art of kintsugi, where a broken jar or pot is, required, is repaired with molten gold. Uh, it's an excellent illustration and as to what the Lord does in and through us. You ever had a, a particularly favourite teacup or teapot at home uh, and you've had it for years and years and years and then it cracks and you go, oh, I can't throw it out. I love this cup. Well, the Japanese took this to an art form and they said, let's repair it so that you've got the relationship with this cup still, but it becomes something even more beautiful. That's what God is doing in you and I. He's putting all of the broken pieces of our lives back together and as he restores us and puts all those broken pieces back together, he's actually making us into something more beautiful than we were originally. Because now it's not just us and our strength, but through all those weaknesses, through all that brokenness, the golden thread, the molten golden thread of God's grace 
of his comfort is producing something infinitely more beautiful than it was at the beginning. That's Kintsugi. You see, it's easy to become discouraged or despondent regarding our mistakes. But what the letter of 2 Corinthians is telling us is that the Lord is doing, continues to do something quite incredible. He's comforting us in our grief to display his glory. Can I, can I just say, friends, don't ever let yourself despair or get overly depressed when you go through periods of trial or suffering. Just because you are struggling doesn't mean that the Lord is faithful. And it definitely doesn't mean that he doesn't care for you. It's just the opposite. In his flawless economy, God is breaking you to build you up. He's putting you to death so that you might truly come back to life. He is making you weak so that you can know his strength. John Calvin explains this truth really well like this. He writes, The fleshly confidence by which we are puffed up is so obstinate that the only way it can be destroyed is by, falling, by our falling into extremes of despair. For the flesh is proud and does not yield willingly so that its pretensions cease only when it is forcibly constrained. We are not brought to real submission until we have been laid low by the crushing hand of God. That's all true, but it's not the whole truth. Because the flip side is that God crushes our pride. He starts to repair our souls with the golden thread of his grace. He so puts us back together by divine wisdom that the, in, the end product is infinitely more precious, infinitely more beautiful than what it started with. His strength is made perfect through your weakness. So continue to put your hope and trust in him. For God is faithful and loving. And what he has begun to do in you and me, he will continue to do and carry on until it is completed. Never give up hope. For the Lord God Almighty by his spirit is at work in and through you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what an inspiring, strong, confronting word it is that we've dealt with this morning. You are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, in all of our suffering. Lord, we want to pray for each other this morning. We think of those, especially in our own number this morning, who are suffering in all kinds of ways, Lord. And Father, we pray that right now you would pour out your comfort. That you would strengthen them. That you would console them with your compassion. Strengthen them with a renewed resolve. And give them hope. Give them strength. But most of all, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that you give them your comfort and that we might better minister to each other 
especially through our prayers. Thank you for hearing us, Lord. Pour out your blessing. May your gracious hand be upon those that come to mind right now. We pray this for the glory of your name. Amen.